If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. God wants to finish the story. And the very thing that we would love, He enfolds in Himself all that would bring joy and life and peace to us. Welcome to Keep the Main Thing, a podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. Today's message from Pastor Lee is entitled, Long Range Planning, first delivered in November 1986. He refers to Luke 21 as the text for that particular Sunday. Looking at the chapter of Luke, the gospel lesson could have been from any number of verses starting with verse 5 all the way through verse 25. In that chapter, Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple and signs of the end times. Jesus said, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. Jesus goes on to say, But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all in the account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. That is a small excerpt from Luke 21. I would recommend reading the entire chapter. It's, it's, it's very good. Again, we want to apologize for not having an ideal recording of this sermon. Many of the first cassette tapes we found did not provide us the production quality we had hoped for. But we were determined to play these tapes in chronological order and deploy all of them. To date, having only found less than 10% of his Sunday sermons was disappointing enough. Not sharing each and every one of them, since they are all inspirational, seemed senseless. And as I mentioned in podcast number one, this whole Norwegian stubbornness thing always continues to influence our decisions as well. The first thing I noticed about this sermon was his prayer prior to the meditation. His ability to put together meaningful, articulate, and even poetic prayers off the cuff with his usual play on words and even an analogy is impressive. Again, given how many stories and anecdotes he uses in 25 minutes is amazing. I keep wondering how he 
found all of his content, his research had to be pretty tenacious. The message is rife with plenty of stories, and of course, he will be leaving you with three words. A number of people have commented that Lee Evenson's sermons were timeless and multi-generational. This is one of the reasons why we thought it was worthwhile to share them with everyone once again. This sermon supports that notion a great deal. His remarks and views on the challenges facing Christians back in 1986 are relevant today. Although his points might be construed politically incorrect in today's world, that is part of our problem in society today, taking opinions out of the context from when they were spoken and standing them up against today's norms and stream of consciousness that has evolved over time, and in this instance, 35 years. But I digress, and I also promised my family that I would try to keep my opinions uh, to a minimum as much as possible. In one section of this sermon, Lee makes a point that could be considered a prophecy for the state of Christianity today, Quoting David Wilkerson, he points out that the world is making fun of Christians 40 years ago. Now they are trying to make them disappear. There is plenty for us to hold on to in this message. Here is Long Range Planning, November 1986. Thank you very much, Dave. All of our new music, sometimes we forget these old classics that will never grow old and will always minister to us. Thank you for that tremendous message. Lord, we do need to be reminded of your faithfulness to us day by day. You said you'd never leave us or forsake us. So in the midst, in the world that there is faithlessness, where we forget our commitments to one another, often in our homes, and our families, or commitments in terms of our work. Above all, too often we forget our commitment to you. But thank you when we are faithless, you remain faithful and continue in your patience and love to encourage us. Thank you also for that faithfulness that we can depend on in terms of your coming again that we don't have to look back to the good old days, but can look ahead if we know you to the good new day, to that day when all tears will be wiped away and sorrow and pain will be gone, and we will behold you, not in a mere dimly, but then face to face. Lord, help us to live on our tiptoes, looking for you. Each morning, getting up, Maybe going to the window and saying, maybe today, Lord, maybe today. Give us that, that sense of excitement. And Lord, if there is any here today who are not ready, who if you were to come today, they wouldn't know you. You'd simply be a stranger, a name in a book or a picture on a wall. If there are any here, may your Holy Spirit work in their hearts even this morning. Before they leave this day, they would surely know you <coughs> and would too then be excited about your coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things they do in football games today is have one or two of their coaches high above the stadium to be able to look down on the field. And so they have the radio uh, 
communication with them. You see the coaches walking along the sideline with this uh, communication with this radio in their ear all the time. Because when you're down on the sidelines, you can only see one, one dimension of the field. You, you don't even begin to be aware of all the things that are going on. But if you're up high above the stadium, you can see how the formations are unfolding, where your weaknesses are, or where the weaknesses of the other team may be, and so it can help you to gain the victory. Too often in life, we live on the sidelines, and we get only one dimension. We live in dimension of the here and the now, of what I can eat, or what I can wear, or where I can sleep. This text lifts us above the stadium, and we need this from time to time in the church year to have these texts that kind of lift us up so we look down on our lives, so we kind of take note of where we are going or not going, what we are doing, what we're excited about, how the game is going in terms of our life and what we are doing. The story is told of a man who lived in Long Island and he purchased a uh, barometer was the best that money could buy, finest one he could get his hands on. And so he got home, as soon as he got home, he nailed it up on a wall, but he was disappointed because the needle was pointing to the sector marked storm. And he thought there was something wrong with it. And so he shook it and he shook it vigorously several times, and, but it didn't move. It just kept pointing to the word storm. And so he sat down and wrote a scorching letter to the store from which he had purchased the instrument. The following morning on his way into the office in New York, he dropped a letter in the mail. That evening he returned to Long Island only to find not only the barometer missing but his house. The barometer had been right. There had been a storm. We smile with suspicion at the account of that kind of an incident, but that anyone would have so little faith in an instrument which he appraised as valuable enough to purchase at considerable expense. And yet how many of us, that even though the instrument of God's word points to the second coming, it points to judgment, how many of us seem to neglect that day by day? How many are saying today, the instrument is not quite correct? There are those who are tampering with God's word, and I certainly appreciate having people such as Dave in our congregation who constantly remind us of the authority of the Word and the power of the Word. Because when you start to tamper with that instrument, the instrument of this Word that says there is a second coming, there is judgment, there is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided. Once you tamper with that, you are in deep trouble. Great is thy faithfulness, yesterday, today, and forever. There was a young doctor who had just gone out in his practice. I'm not quite sure if it was Dr. Freeberg or Dr. Hansen, but it was one of them. They went out to western Minnesota, and they were going to set up practice in this small town. And the first patient that came in was an old man. And, of course, uh, Dr. Freeberg was quite nervous about this because he knew in a small town the word would spread very quickly, whether he really knew his stuff or whether he didn't. And so this older man came in, and he was really trying to make a good impression, and the old man listed all his ailments, but Dr. Freeberg still didn't have a clue what in the world's wrong for that. So he then began to do a long examination and the sweat was pouring down because the more he examined, the more he didn't have any clue what was wrong with this guy. So finally, 
in his desperation, he said to the old man, he said, have you ever had this before? The old man says, yes, many times. Dr. Freeberg replied, will you have it again? We look in distress and at the confusion of our world and a deep problem. We look basically at our own nation, not being able really to solve any of the many problems that seem to be overwhelming us. We have it again. But other civilizations have had it before us. Others have caved in from the inside, not primarily from the outside, but as you read the history of our world, the great Roman or the Greek Empire, or the Egyptian, or any of the others, you find that we have it again. In our affluence and in all our abundance, we haven't been able to handle it. And so we have that same kind of sickness in our world and in our nation. There are three words I'd like to leave with you this morning. The word perception, the word persecution, and the word perseverance. Our gospel text in Luke 21 reminds us of all those words. For Jesus said, as he looked at the temple, these things you see, the days will come and there shall not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then he begins to give them all the signs of the end, the increase in earthquakes, which we just had one. There have been more earthquakes in this century than in all the centuries previously. The famine that is here. Nation rising against nation. That's all we hear about our conflicts between nations and the terrorists and all of these things, the pestilences. Somebody I ran into in the airport in Houston when we were down in New Orleans and we had to transfer and this man had just come up from Mexico and from a beautiful island where there was a resort and he said the grasshoppers were swarming and they had just stripped everything. He said it reminded me when you read about in the Bible in the days of the Egyptian captivity. There will be those kinds of pestilences that come. AIDS can be a pestilence. We've just recently been told there's another strain of it, another kind of it. But we need to have perception. We need to be rise above the stadium of life to see all of this in the right perspective. It shouldn't scare us. In a sense, it shouldn't disappoint us. But it should encourage us and excite us to see that God's plan is going to be perfect fulfilled. Ziggy said, I've spent my whole life preparing for a world that doesn't seem to exist. And a lot of people are doing that. A lot of people, and I even hear it among Christians, more and more talk about retirement and kind of seeing that having a long range only that far. But many of us can get to there and be only there for a year or two or not at all as one of our members is out of town this weekend for someone, a relative who died simply very shortly after retirement. We prepare for that kind of a world that may not exist for us, the world of retirement. Who knows from day to day how many days the Lord gives us. We need to have a perception to read the signs in our world. Nobody thought when Jesus said that temple would be laid out without one stone, that was built that with those tremendously large stones and it seemed so solid, no one thought, because then that day they didn't have the kinds of bombs and explosives, they thought, no way that this would be laid out. And yet 40, 40 years after Jesus said that, 
it had taken place. There wasn't a stone upon another in that great temple in Jerusalem. The houses are being torn down today. We may build our stone houses, but they give way. We work for a certain company, and all of a sudden the company says, we will lay you off, such as a company this past week. Or our health gives way, and suddenly this great stone house is dissipated and disappears and leveled. Our whole value system is being shaken. Things are happening we never thought would happen in our country. In this country where we were founded, certainly on the authority of God and the absolute standards of his commandments. Now you watch TV and you just can hardly believe that what's going on, the kind of even making fun of anything that has a tone of morality or having standards to say that age of the judgment of God is to have a wrath of all kinds of people in and outside the church. The stones are being disappearing. How do we live in the midst of this? Colossians says, set your minds on the things above. Get on top of the stadium. Realize, have the perception to realize that God is shaking us and is shaking this nation. And the things we thought would never disappear are disappearing faster than we can realize. And the dark is getting darker and the light needs to get brighter. We need to read the signs. Mobley, who is a great perceptive columnist with the Chicago Tribune, one of the leading papers in our country, <clears throat> if things are so good, why are we so scared? If we are living in the most prosperous, most privileged, most secure, most comfortable, most convenient, healthiest period in the history of mankind, why are we so nervous? You can see it on people's faces. You can see it on the edginess, whether you're driving in traffic or in a store or wherever you go or maybe where you work. There's a nervousness that somehow the great temples that we have built or are building or looking forward to living to are being leveled. Little Margie came home from Sunday school and said to her mother, teacher told us today that God puts people in the world so they can get ready for heaven. Is that right? And mommy says without thinking almost, yes, dear, that's right. And wrinkling her little forehead, little Margie thought for a while, and then she said, in all seriousness, then why don't we see anybody getting ready? Do you live as if there's only one dimension? Are you more excited about retirement than the coming of Jesus? about retiring than being retiring as we heard last Sunday? Are we caught up in the games of the world that somehow prayer and the word and giving a tithe and interest in the kingdom? Are we more concerned about Wall Street than the streets of gold? Where is your perception to this? Are you reading the signs? Do you see the eviction notices coming to us right and left faster than they've really ever come in the history of our world? The second word is persecution. Not a very pleasant kind of word for us. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my sake. 
this will be a time for you to bear testimony. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and kinsmen and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Right now they're simply making fun of us. But that quickly turns as I remember some years ago Dave Wilkerson in our Holy Spirit conference says that's just right before all of a sudden it turns around from making fun to making us disappear. There was a young man who went to a Canadian lumber camp that was notorious for its wild life and for a lack of any kind of standards and his Christian friends wondered how in the world to get along and after a few months he came home he said, how did it go? How did you fare? Oh, fine, he said. They never caught on. I was different. If we're going to be bold in the last days, we need to be bold today. If we're not bold today, we will be bold over. If we are afraid even to bow our heads and say, Grace in the company dining room, how are we ever going to stand in the midst of the kind of things that Jesus talks about? You don't start lifting 200 pounds weights immediately you start with 20 pounds and work your way up. We as Christians need to become more bold in our witness, less apologetic, bold in saying great is his faithfulness. As bold as the world is in taking God's name in vain and making fun of it, as bold as those who are who are talking about their lifestyles and their sexuality and about the swingers clubs and all the rest, we need to become more bold in our witness. One of the things, as I remember sharing some years ago, <clears throat> is coming off the field with a clean jersey. The one, the one the, of the, the one game in high school that I wanted to play in more than any other was a game I didn't play in. I didn't have any dirt in my jersey and there was no blood. And I thought how much worse it would be at the end of the world when Jesus comes again to stand there with a clean jersey never having taken any ridicule any kind of stuff from anybody having stood there never reading in the game are you afraid to invite we hear Sunday by Sunday with to invite people are we afraid even to invite people into God's church We're going to take it, and I believe, as Corey Kendall says, he will give us grace when we get on the train. He gives us a ticket. In the midst of that, we can stand. But somehow, we better start to learn to develop our faith muscles now and be a people unapologetic to confess the name of Jesus. During World War II, Dwight Eisenhower decided when the forces made the historic crossing of the Rhine, he wanted to be a log. So he accompanied General Simpson. And as he was going, walking along, he fell into step with a group of the 30th Division infantrymen. And they were all apparently in quite high spirits and route to their boats. But then he noticed one young soldier who was kind of depressed. And so he walked up to him and he said, how are you feeling, son? General, I'm awful nervous. I was wounded two months ago and just got back from the hospital yesterday. I don't feel so good. Well, Eisenhower said, you and I are a good pair then, because I'm a little nervous too. 
but we planned the attack for a long time. We've got all the planes and the guns and the airborne troops we can use. Maybe if we just walk together to the river, we'll be good for each other. Oh, replied the young soldier, I meant I was nervous. I'm not anymore. Not if you walk with me. He walks with us. He'll give us the words, it says, even when we become and are called in to give our witness. Don't worry about it because I will be there. I'll never leave you or forsake you. In the midst of the battle, he is there. And finally, perseverance. Perseverance. In the last issue of New Wine, Jack Crabtree uses the illustration of a young 16-year-old practicing basketball in his driveway. And as he's practicing, an angel comes and delivers a message about the future. I have good news for you, son. You're destined to be a great basketball player. You'll be rookie of the year in the NBA. You will go on to be recognized as one of the greatest players who ever lived. So what's the catch, he asks. Nothing. It's a free gift from God. <clears throat> Suppose the angel managed to convince him he was real. And if the message was absolutely unconditional and supernatural, would it make you practice basketball more or less? The author asked. If the angel happened to find you practicing basketball because you were bored, if you didn't really care much for the game, his message would have little impact. In fact, it might make you less interested. Someone could say, hey, that's great. That'll be fun. I'll look forward to it. And you'd go off and do the thing you really wanted to do. After all, you're guaranteed success whether you practiced or not. But suppose that this young man lived and breathed basketball and he dreamed it. Suppose the greatest joy that he had ever dreamed, dared to imagine was being in the NBA, rookie of the year. Then how would the message affect him? He would work harder at the game. He would lose a sense of discouragement and uncertainty that afflicts people. What's the use? I'm just kidding myself that I could be a, that good at this. Instead, now every moment he would practice in preparation for the very thing he longed for. He'd make a basket. He'd say, I'm on the way. When he missed one, he could shrug his shoulders and grin and say, well, I still have a ways to go, don't I? Because the mistakes were merely transitional. There are a lot of Christians in exactly this situation. They've been told they can go to heaven to be with God. To be sons of, they're glad to hear the news. After all, it's good insurance coverage for the future. Now they can stop worrying and get on with whatever they really care about, making money or becoming admired or outdressing their neighbors or hunting and fishing. They don't really long for Jesus, so the promise of meeting him in heaven has little effect on their lives. Only those who ache to be great basketball players will practice more, not less, as they see their greatness on the horizon. Only those who ache to be with Jesus will do his will more, not less, as they await his arrival. Only those who look and long for him will practice loving, will see the ministry of even a cup of cold water, will practice serving, will be excited to serve wherever, whenever they can, because they ultimately see that this will be that game when he comes again to love him and to love one another. But there are others who are more interested 
are bored with their faith, who go on to live their own life, to build their own fame and fortune. Perseverance. Perseverance. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your life. Do not be weary in well-doing. I like that cartoon of Snoopy where he's dancing and Lucy starts to shout, Flood! Fire! Famine! And he keeps dancing. Doom! Despair! Defeat! And he keeps dancing. And finally Lucy sighs, I give it no use. Nothing what Christians need to do today is dance through the hard times, dance in times of economic hardship, dance in times of sickness, dance in times of persecution, to learn to dance in the midst of that, to have a philosophy that really believes by our lives and not just our words that he is coming again and we shall behold him. Are you ready? Do you know him today? And if you know him, are you excited? So you're practicing. What a frustration it is to meet somebody in the airport or in a restaurant you've never met before. Is this it? No. Jesus said there will be those, because they don't know me, will be taken in by the false Christ and the false promises. I like that other cartoon where Ziggy walks by this house with these smiling faces peeking out all the windows and out the doors and in front of this house it says home for the incurably optimistic. Do you live there? Do you live there? Do people see that you're optimistic in the midst of things that seem to be falling apart and the great stones that are being flattened out in our world? Do you live in that kind of house and are that kind of witness? How are your long-range plans? How far do they extend? Are you living on top of the stadium? We shall behold him. The sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance. The stars will applaud him with thunders of praise. The sweet light in his eyes shall enhance those awaiting, and we shall behold him then. Face to face. How long range are your plans? This morning, you don't know him. It says, now is a day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I would simply encourage you when the service is over, come down to the altar and kneel with those others who need other kinds of ministry and to receive him and to know him. That you can look forward to seeing him face to face. Amen. The peace of God which passes all human understanding. Keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. So how is your long-range planning coming? We hope you enjoyed today's sermon from Pastor Lee Evenson. 
These podcasts would not be possible without the amazing efforts of Lee Gonzalez, Spencer Evenson, Hunter Frazier, and our producer, Anne-Marie Cross. Thank you to all of you out there for listening. Again, if you have any recordings of Pastor Lee, be it a Sunday sermon, wedding, or other recorded speeches, please let me know. You can reach me at mark.keepthemainthing at gmail.com. Look for our website coming soon. Until next time, may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.